0: Hi, again. My name is Diane. I'm a compulsive overeater anorexic bulimic. And I'm very grateful to be here. Thank you so much. Where are you? So thank you very much for asking me to leave today. Uh, welcome to the newcomers. Welcome to anybody who's returning, and welcome to anybody who didn't identify. I'm really, really grateful to be here. I love this program, and I'll explain to you why I love this program. Um, there are a lot of um reasons, quote quote, why I'm a compulsive overeater and erected bulimic, bulimic and why I qualify for this program. And I don't know which of them really makes sense, but what I will say is I found salvation in food from a very early age. And I'll just I'll give you a little bit about what it used to be like, what happened and what it's like now. I um, I don't remember ever feeling neutral towards food. My comparison is that I am neutral towards gasoline. When I go and fill up my car, I'm neutral. I don't want to drink it. I don't want to eat it. But I need it. Seriously, I need it as fuel in my car. If I felt that way about food, that would be great. That's how I happen to feel about liquor. I can't. It doesn't mean anything to me. Most things, snowballs coming from Canada, they don't mean anything to me. But I wish... You know, I wished for years that I saw food as just another substance, but I don't. It's had some magical quality for as long as I can remember. And it, it filled something in me. And for me, the answer wasn't sugar. It wasn't in potato chips and french fries and all that family as they say, funny they call food family, but um, <laughs> but it, it's in it's in the sweet stuff, and and that was my answer. I I wouldn't have known what a feeling was, and I don't know what child really would. Be. We might express them, but to be able to verbalize, I didn't know what a feeling was, and I just knew that I was I was I see pictures of myself at probably six or seven, and I was a little. You wouldn't call me heavy, you wouldn't call Marion, I think you'd call me chubby. But when I look at them, I cringe a little bit because I know that I'm already starting to disappear. And in, in elementary and high school pictures, I'm actually 5'9", and I'm the shortest of four sisters, and my you know brother's 6'6". Six, six. So I come from a tall family, and I was always the tallest and heaviest kid in the class, girls and guys. So I stood in the middle of the back row of pictures. Every picture I'm in the middle of that sort of peak they make in the back row, and, you know, I was uncomfortable from a very early age. I tried to, you know, walk this way, and it wasn't because I had a lot going on here. It was because I was tall, and I wanted to not be, so I didn't want to be seen. I didn't want it to to stand out in any way. And I think that's what a lot of the eating was about. It was about hiding. And it, it got progressively worse. For those, I would assume, just about anybody in this room, and if you're just checking out the program, you're welcome to be here um uh it just it got worse i I dieted as an early teenager i counted my calories a long time ago i know what weight watchers is so we didn't have all the same things up there in quebec that you did down here but we had a lot of them because your television that even then went everywhere in the world and um, (laughs) and, uh, i you know i i didn't i i was a part of i was in every committee on every committee played every sport looked normal to the outside, but I was I was obsessed in a lot. Tomorrow I'm not going to eat that. This That goes back to, you know, being 12, as far as I can see. I'm not going to eat that tomorrow. I'm not going to have that tomorrow. And and that was combined with, I have a, you know, teenage crushes. I have a crush on so-and-so. And I worked hard in school. I did well in school. We had five kids in my family, two parents. My grandmother lived with us. Everything looked intact. And I finished high school early. And I look back on it, and my father was very, um, he was, and I I, I won't say unfortunately he was brilliant, but it's great that he was brilliant, but it was hard being a child in a home like that because he thought we should know everything. And I didn't. So as a consequence, I ended up feeling really stupid. And as I got, as I couldn't control my weight, I ended up, it just ended, it rolled into self-hate. It rolled into, I'm dumb, I'm stupid, I'm ugly, I'm not enough. And that was how I spent my years. And um, I got a scholarship to college to, in those days, study computer science. And this was really, this was my father's doing. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't want to do it. And um, uh, the, the week before I was supposed to go away, I decided I didn't want to go. And my father was traveling. My mother, I later realized, was depressed. And they allowed me not to go off on this on this career and I ended up um, going to the local local college and um, that semester that I didn't go away my mother tried to kill herself and I found her and I think all of it is God's will and um, and they ended up then she got better and they transferred to Denver and I went off to college and 16 months later she killed herself. And that that episode and that whole long traumatic period really had an effect on me because to be um, 17 and lose your mother is one thing, to lose her to suicide when I tended to feel guilty and dumb, stupid, ugly anyway was tremendously difficult. And my eating didn't take off so much, not on the outside as it took off inside. I, I froze emotionally. I couldn't feel anything. I didn't cry. I just felt horrible. And um, I was at college at the time. I ate. I tried not to eat. I ate. In those days, you could eat whatever you wanted, and mm-hmm. there was endless food at dorms. I ate. I tried not to eat. I switched universities. Um, that didn't work. I. Um, my father remarried the housekeeper that I got to clean the house. I didn't like her. She was different from us and all she was going to do was clean the house. I had no idea that she would be my evil born again hated us all stepmother. (laughs) Which was horribly painful so I had no parents. My father disappeared. She stood in front of him. My mother was dead. I was 17. I brought myself up. I put myself I decided I I went to graduate school. I didn't have parents at my college graduation, at my graduate school graduation, I was by myself. And I came up with my own theories and methods for everything. And I discovered in graduate school that I could chew my food and spit it out. I'd never heard of it. Of course in those days nobody read about anything, that nothing was written. But it worked for me. It worked for me so well that I'm vague on what actually happened. On paper, I graduated, I moved to Denver, I got degrees, I had a great job and I was Chewing my food and spitting it out every night. I mean, a chunk, of chunk, a lot of it. I trained for a marathon. I ran the marathon, and that the, that day of that marathon, I remember going home and having all this sugar stuff, and you know, chewing and spitting, and chewing and spitting, and chewing and spitting. After running 26 and a half miles, and you know that I, I achieved on the outside and inside, I was dying, and I had been accumulating pills. That I had a shoebox, a white shoebox full of pills because from the time my mother died that guess what? I became depressed and nobody understood what to do with a kid who'd lost a parent to suicide. There was no therapy, there was no, no there was no field of research. So they gave me antidepressants and I had them all and I stopped taking them to the And feel well so I gathered them all and I said, Okay, I'm gonna kill myself i thirty because I've tried everything. I had tried. I I I'd been to church, I'd read the Bible, I'd read the self-help books that were out there, nothing talked about this, nothing addressed the way I felt. And um, six months before I turned 30, I was living in New York at the time, I um, heard somebody say to somebody else in a group, I'd heard about AA because they had a, a, a world conference in Montreal when I lived there, And and I remember thinking, they're all laughing, and they're all... Cheerful, and they're just drinking, you know, diet cokes and seven ups. I guess even I don't know if they didn't have enough diet coke. They were drinking cokes and seven ups and water, and they were also present, and it made my skin crawl because <laughs> because I hated that they I, I didn't know it, but I hated that they had lies. I hated that they knew something that I didn't know, and I um so I had heard about Alcoholics Anonymous just from seeing this group, and this woman in the group said. If I can't stop eating, I'm going to have to go to that Overeaters Anonymous. I'd never heard the name. I didn't know what it was, but i put two and two together, and I looked it up in the phone book, and I um, went to a meeting at Lenox Hill Hospital in in, uh, New York City. And I went running first, of course, and I showed up there, and um, I stood in the back, and I went in late because that's, What I've been doing since the school bus used to wait for me when I was six years old. It would do the loop of the town and then wait while Diane came running down the hill to the bus on the way out of town. It's just one of those things. Next life, I'm a morning person. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I stood in the back and I I didn't understand. It kind of makes my knees weak to think about it. Um, 1987, July 8th. I didn't understand what was going on, but... I identified with what I was hearing, and I couldn't i couldn't even understand it through the fog of all the eating and not eating and self-hate and wanting to kill myself and counting my pills and making sure they're there, even though I lived alone, putting them in the closet and making sure they're still there, to hear that there was something in that room and there was a guy leading the meeting, and I didn't understand why, why they were talking about sort of their day, you know, what had happened, and and how they felt, and where they were going for dinner, and that they'd had their snack, and things I didn't understand, but I left early, because God forbid I should have to talk to anybody, and I ran home, and I sat on the on the edge of the bathtub, and I cried my eyes out, because I had heard something, for the first time in my life, that penetrated, and... I had still been every night, you know, baking stuff, chewing and spitting up, baking, chewing and spitting up. I went, I was going on dates with bagels in my purse and going in the bathroom and, and doing my thing in the bathroom and then coming back and smiling on the date. And, you know, that sort of just, I had to have this thing. So it was, it was like a teddy bear, which I still sleep with, um, and you know, it was that it was that comfort thing. It was that something that was going to take, I wouldn't have known it then, take the edge off something. And um, I didn't know you were allowed to go there more than once a week, mm-hmm. so if you're new, you can come ten times a day if you want, but I was such a rule follower, you know, girl scouts were once a week, and girl guides were once a week, and so I went back, and I acted out that week, and the following uh, Wednesday, July 14th, 1987, is my current absence when it started. And I didn't know how to ask somebody to sponsor me. I didn't want them to say no, so I didn't ask anybody. But I was, had the blessing of being in New York, and I could go to a meeting every day. And I was um, my, I, six months in because I was going out of town. I asked somebody to sponsor me. And she said she would, and she was my sponsor until 2004 when she moved to Oregon and sort of flew away and stopped. I don't know that she, she didn't go out so much that she stopped coming to meetings. She found another spiritual path that worked for her. But during those years I was with her, she was there for me. And she was the person who uh, taught me. To look to, in those days, this is what we had, the big books of Alcoholics Anonymous for answers. And she taught me that there was a God in this world. I didn't believe her, but I liked what she had and did. And so that was my venue to learning about a higher power. And it started for me with uh, having um, an issue go on at the office and her saying, just this once, can you trust just this once that this meeting will go, that, that God will take care of you in this meeting?
1: Well, okay,
0: but let's make it really clear that we're just talking about just this once. <laughs> <laughs> let's make it clear the rules, I like rules, just this once. And I think of it like a circle. So I put a circle around this meeting. Just this once, I'm going to trust that it'll go okay and I'll be taken care of. And I checked back in with her afterwards, and that did indeed happen. And so that became a regular part of our conversation. Something was coming up ahead of day. Could you trust that just on this day, God will take care of you? Okay. And it would happen again. Thank you. And could you trust that just this once that you will get through the day? Could you trust that just this once, the dentist won't, you know... Kill you when he takes out your silver fillings. Could you trust that just this once? This will happen. And you know, as time and I mean weeks and months and years went by with this behavior, all those little trusts—I think of those little paper chains that we used to put on trees. You know, those all those little trusts. Each each time and each incident that I trusted was was a little link, and each of those links together is now you know, tens of thousands of times of trusting, and that together has become my faith. My faith, for me, has been made up of individual incidences of trusting and never, ever being let down. I mean, ever. It it runs everything from having people over for a party and one of my favorite couples saying they can't make it. Oh, my God, it's going to be a mess. It's not going to work. I wish I didn't have it. How could they? People show up and we have the best time ever, better than I could have I could have imagined, and that's the issue for me. It's God who puts all this together. It's not me. And in this program, I have found friendship. A fellow called this morning who I knew from those early meetings in 1987 in New York, who moved out here before I did, which is amazing. And she's now in stage four cancer, and I've been with her through it, and she's working the program. And I, I'm do, being of service because we've learned that in here. What I'd like to do is, um, you know, just, just uh, for the newcomers, why do we talk about the newcomers in, in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is what we do? And we talk to the newcomers because we want to help you stay here. We want you to love this program as much as we love this program. It keeps it green for us, which is why I love meetings. I'm a real uh, opponent of, and it's, in my opinion, it's against the traditions to have closed meetings because newcomers need to know where to come, they need to know they're welcome, and they need to know that we are here for them. And we want to pass along what has been so freely given to us because we are all here because we, we identify um, as members of, of this program or perhaps are thinking about it. We get a sponsor for similar reasons, because we want to stay here. We want to work the program. We want somebody who has what we have. We want a guide through this life. And for me, a sponsor has been a real conduit to God. Um, We also, um, why do we use the tools? The tool that, all the tools have helped me. Um, At one time or another, I believe in service. I um, have an, uh, I do um, an AEIOU mentally at this point, although my new sponsors, I'm sure are going to have you write it down. Um, I outreach to people uh, in the old days, it was quarters and phone booths, and now it's, you know, then it was call waiting, which was a big bonus for overeaters, And then it, was, then it was, now it's texting and phone calls and fellowship. And, you know, this, if you get, they talk about in AA about just being another bozo on the bus. Just sit in the middle. You know, don't get too far at the edges, or you may you may fall out. Just stay in the middle with people here. And my life has gotten so big. I've also discovered this, is a god box, that my niece made for me when she was four years old. Um, and it's pretty full of things, because I still put things in there, including her, by the way, because she's an apoplemic, and she's 16 years old, and she's staying with me. And I take her for the summer, every summer, I've tried everything, of course, brought her to a meeting last year when she was here, didn't work for her. She's about to go into treatment, which she knows, and hopefully that'll help. Her mother's in recovery, you know, things happen. And she says she's been obsessed with her, everything, every thought has been about food since she was eight. Which gave, I went to the psychiatrist with her the other day, gave me a lot of compassion for her because I wanted to know, I'm offering tutors, I'm offering, are we done? Um, I'm offering everything. Why aren't you taking advantage of what I have, is what I want to say to her. But when I heard her own, that she's been obsessed with this since she was eight, of course she can't study. Of course she can't do well in school. Of course she doesn't care about college. How could she? You know, everybody has their own path. And, And I just, you know, the doctor said to her, and I was there, I'm afraid you're going to kill yourself. And for me to hear that from after my mother was like, oh my God, okay God, I can't, I can't do anything other than work this program which you know until i got it didn't you know that can't possibly be enough but it is and i do want to talk about i want to talk about the fun part of this program because uh, nothing was fun when i came in i was how could you guys be having fun what's so funny you know i don't get it you know, I'm going to go home and eat. And I didn't understand, I used to walk past bars and see people my age laughing and having fun and meeting after work and I would go home by myself and I didn't understand what they did. And this program and seeing the same people over and over. If you're new, we talk about going to regular meetings regularly and I say that on purpose because it means people get to know you and you get to know them and you get to take a service pe- position and when you're not there, people call you and say, hey, how are you doing? I haven't seen you, are you okay? and that for me is huge i come from five kids we're all close it's a big connection for me and when i had a therapist years ago say life is relationships i thought he was nuts i thought life was accumulation and prestige and power and you know what life is relationships that's it because with this friend of mine who's very ill i just i just want to be with her i don't care about anything else and that's what the program has taught me to really do my best to be there I got married in my 40s. I didn't want to get married. I'm not the marrying type. I'm not sure I love it. And we have our eighth anniversary coming up. I love him. And I'll just say that part of my program was letting go when he said he wanted a parrot. Now we have a parrot. <laughs> I don't, you know, there's, somebody gave me a dog bonus, a present. It gives me the heebie-jeebies, but it's within, you know, a foot of me. And I never had a pet. We didn't have dogs. I don't really like them, but he loves the bird. The bird's name is Margie, which was very generous because that's my middle name and his mother's name and he's Jewish. So you do that name, you can name anything you do. <laughs> So the bird's Margie, and he loves the bird. And he ha- doesn't have a program and has a tendency to get a little mean at times, so Margie gives him something to really focus on And He starts to talk, and she does all sorts of things. So that's a gift of this program. I read. I can read a classic. I read a classic every year just for the heck of it. So the other day on the news, they were talking about crime and punishment, and Raskolnikov, I knew who he was because I read it. I read it in abstinence. I started book club the same year I got into program, and I read books all the time, and I can read them. I know what happened. Unlike before when I went through graduate school and got A's and I have no idea what I learned. And, you know, that's fun in program. I wanna have a life. I work hard, I play hard. And I'll wrap up by saying, you know, little things beget big things in here. And I'm not talking about size, I'm talking about lives. We want big lives. I'm allowed to have a big life. I'm allowed to be happy, joyous, and free. Every, I have notes on every step in here, which I didn't have time to get to, but I talk, there's, there's this, came in after I got in, and I love it, and it's written, it's written to us. It's written in language that works for us. I will start by saying, from somebody who was so depressed, I, I, I never couldn't get out of bed, but I always wanted... For years wanted to die. I threw out all those pills. I have a big life. I get outside help when I need it. And I'll wrap up by saying my I have a partner, and for all that the dog bone scares me and I don't particularly like dogs, I actually have a business making dog sweaters. Now
2: this
0: happened this is program this is a dog scarf. you saw it here first it made especially for the dog and i'm not selling them this is a present but this is what the program has allowed me to do because i don't want to make dog sweaters i want it. i like human sweaters why don't we do things for human well guess what somebody in london saw our dog sweater designs and said would you guys make sweaters for humans so now we're designing human lines and i say that because that's program that's program that allows me to start where i am with how much money it costs to do a dog sweater and you know move on from there and and have this big life and i you know this this is a coin if you're new it has um there are different ones this has the serenity Prayer on one side and the triangle on the other and 26 years oh thank you i I didn't realize it was the right thank you so much that's incredibly precious i just had my anniversary last week um it's a big time to wrap up and um I just want to say why I have a God, because no matter what happens to me, I used to think that when I died, I didn't want to see what would happen when I died, because I didn't want to see the resume, I assumed you had a resume at your headstone, maybe- I didn't want to see the resume of what I'd done at my headstone, because I was so afraid I'd be disappointed. And today, I don't care what it says, because I know that I'm living today, I'm trying my best to be of service today, I'm imperfectly working this program, and I'm so grateful to all of you for being here. Thank you. Uh, This is the time for questions only. Uh, There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA
1: podcast. Are there any questions? Yes. Uh, Thank you, for share. Uh, so You said the phrase working the program in time. Um, what does that mean to you? What does that mean like, to you? Explain that
0: in character. Working the program for me means um, having a sponsor. I'm starting the steps again with a new sponsor and um, going to meetings, doing service, having sponsees. I read two pages of the big book every day. I finally started on the fourth edition because I hate change, so I only did the third edition for the longest time. But um, I read two pages a day and I underline one line on each page that means something to me. And if you start in January, you'll finish in October. And it's really a way for me to have program every day. I make phone calls. I try and call newcomers. That, I meditate every morning. My sponsor taught me, took me to a meditation workshop. So I meditate every day, no matter what. Say the third step prayer. Really try and turn my do my best to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. It's
1: how I work my program. Hi. Hi. Um, Could you talk a little bit about um, your connection to God, like what you're willing to do on a daily basis and what that looks like? I know you talked a little bit about how you work your program, but how do you specifically talk about the length and the process over time? Um, But how do you move yourself to connect to your higher power?
0: Uh, For me, it comes through morning meditation. I really, there was an ad on TV when I was little about cream of wheat, and the kid would go tobogganing, and they'd have the cream of wheat bowl over his head all day because it followed him all day. That's how I think of my higher power. It's right, like, wherever I am, there it is. I have to, like, remember that it's right there with me all the time. And my work is to remember that it's right there. And the very first thing I do in the morning is meditate. And I start, I might say the, the third step prayer 20 times in a row, slowly, to just, until I really feel it, to, you know, God, I offer myself to thee. Until I really feel it. And then I was taught something called the Hong Sao method of meditation. I gather there's 9 million. I couldn't even tell you what it is. I just know that's what they called what we did. And that was about just being in my body. But I started off with that third step prayer, which for me has been life-saving. No matter what's going on, when my father was dying, I said it over and over again, when my niece was in the hospital over and over again. That, for me, is how I get my connection, God. It starts with God, and it really reminds me to try and hang on to that rope that's always hanging from the sky that I just need to hang on to. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Um, first
1: question, is, have you um, learned, how have you learned, or have you learned not to listen to the voices that you've ever had, and you've been having that experience, and you're feeling great, and it's just something, or just pop in, like something you did 20 years ago, that education you shouldn't have, or some repeat that was voice. How do you deal with that, or do you have that?
0: Uh, the, the first thing is when I was early in the program somebody long ago told me a mantra that they were taught in the program and the mantra I come from the I'm dumb stupid ugly world and this new mantra was and is I am enough I have enough I do enough and I have said that feels like a million times whether it's you know, there's God, God please help me is one of them and I am enough, I have enough, I do enough. And that has helped me counter those, exactly that, counter those those voices over and over again, I am enough, I have enough, I do enough. I am enough, I have enough, I do enough. Because that, I have to work against that tape of, you not know, doing enough, you know, all that negative stuff. It is, I, I am enough, I have enough, I do enough, and I can, and I check it out with other people in program. If I come up with something from years past, I'll literally call somebody who's been around a long time, or who I have <coughs> and have a connection with. And I feel very fortunate because a lot of my, half a dozen of my friends from 1987 New York, OA, are still around and still in the program, which is amazing. And we're still in touch, which is also amazing. And that's, that's one of the benefits of the program, is I can find people to talk to, or I can email it to somebody. You know, that's the other beauty of it. We don't have to, I don't have to sit alone with anything anymore.
1: Any other questions? Hi. Hi, um, thank you for your share. I mean the the three four done like 65. There's, there's many of them to recover as they have capacity to be honest. Could you explain why that's not highly vicious model?
0: It for me it, it it comes up it comes capacity and willingness for me is uh, I think almost everybody can be honest but are we willing to be honest and that's for me been the really work am i willing to look at my part am i willing to do that fourth step and really see you know what was my part in that what was my part in that and it happens today what was my part in that and to be as quick as i can to make an amend again because i believe this is is really a program that i mean it says we Uh, all over the place I reach out to other people and talk about that and do my best to to be honest I think I think I have to go back and think of it the the girl guide motto was was about uh, being honest and you know I didn't have I wasn't a big liar so much as I just hated myself all the time interestingly enough some people come from lying that wasn't my thing my thing was just I hated myself all the time hi
1: you talked about that you have um you don't feel anything with definitely but the food has like a magical connection for you how is it today for you?
0: It i was talking to a newcomer the other day on the phone really new, about um green light yellow light red light foods and because i come from being a real restrictor i come from the calorie counting under eating Undereating and dieting my way up that sort of thing and for me one of the big issues in get in staying abstinent was mentally was You know if I try to put things that you're not allowed to have them. I'm in trouble So my abstinence is is loose in the sense of I can have it, but I choose not to because I know how it makes me feel and One of the things that actually this psychiatrist the other day who was saying to my niece um she said, you know, that food, that food that doesn't work for you is an abusive relationship for you, and that is waiting to beat you up every time you go near it, and every time you go near it, you're going to lose, and you're going to get beaten up. Do you realize that's what you're doing to yourself? And I thought, wow, I've never heard that, that, that way it's used before, and that was, that was actually really helpful to me, because, you know, there's no point in going near anything that is a yellow light food, if maybe it should be a red light food, which is something I talk to my, if she'd ever come back from vacation, I'll talk to my sponsor about. <laughs> and um, because things change over the years. My body's changed, the stuff I eat has changed, a lot's changed. And the work is, you know, the work is, I don't, I don't have to do that today. I don't have to go up against that at all. I can take care of myself. And it's about I am enough, I have enough, I do enough, again, even with the food. Thank you.
1: Hi. Thank you so much for your share. Can you talk about what the relationship was like with your dad before
0: he died? Thank you for asking that question. Um, after my mother died, my uh, a couple of years after that, my father wanted gave me a credit card, which was very odd in those days for an 18-year-old, but that was his way of saying I love you. And he couldn't be there because he had this wife who hated us, literally. Um, and it was after uh probably five years after they got married when apparently it started not working very well that he became more available and for those next 25 years he was my only parent and he became more and more accessible as time went by which is kind of surprising to me but i think it also is because i worked the program i did service he never came to see me i lived in new york city which i thought was great how could you not want to come to new york no, thanks, my dear. I'd love it if you came out here. So I did. He got cancer. I saw him as much as I could. I loved him so much. I learned so much about him. I learned that he beat himself up for the rest of his life about not having understood how ill my mother was and that he didn't save her. So he went through his own stuff about it, and it wasn't my job to change that. I could say what, whatever I could, but he knew I worked a program. I know how proud he was of us. I loved him very much. I was with him when he died and um, he was in hospice at the house and I was there and it was, we played opera, we had candles and that was how he we went out to the things he loved with us holding his hands. It was so touching for me and it was this program that allowed me to have a relationship with him after two years of wanting to beat him to a pulp with a sledgehammer and then jump around and smash the pulp some more. That was, what I, that was how I felt about my father after he married this woman and I had no relationship with him and I brought myself up and you know I learned he learned how to parent I learned how to be a daughter I did a lot of service and I'm so grateful to have that relationship with him and uh, it was in I'll just tell you one story which was so moving he had this amazing doctor and he was too ill in the last week to have chemo and I called she flew in from Denver to this town to do chemo once a month and I called him I said I'm so sorry you know My father can't come to chemo today. He's too ill. Is there any way I could come and get you at the hospital and you could come and see him at the house because I know he'd love to see you one last time? Give me the address and I'll be there, she said. She shows up at the house. My father's in bed, and I said, you know, Dad, the doctor's here to see you. And the first thing he said, now this is five days before he died, the first thing he said is, I'm not in my respectable clothes. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's okay, Dad. She'll be happy to see you. So she came in and sat on the bed, and they closed the door, and they had whatever their last session was, he knowing that he was going. And she got up and I walked her to the car and thanked her. And that was, you know, that was doing something for him that, that he would appreciate. And he, he, he just, it was so loving at the end. And I understood who he was as a person because I didn't have to see all the stuff that I'd seen as a kid because of this program. Thank you. Did you have a question? Okay. Hi. Oh, well.
2: <laughs>
0: I am enough. I have enough. I do enough. <laughs> I um I I love and accept my body today, which I never would have. I used to want it. I had the image of being able to take seriously sharp carving knives and just like hacking mm-hmm. down here and remember I was going to beat my dad to a pulse so it wasn't a big deal I, just, I was, if I was going to be alive at the end I was just going to hack all this off and I've, my body has changed over the years as I've gotten older and things have moved around and, um, I exercise oh you know what haha I exercise every day still six days a week actually and um, I've all, I mean I've trained for marathons I've run long distance I've played sports all that stuff activity I love but this actually makes it fun. This is a Fitbit zip and it tells you what time what time it is and how far you've gone and how many calories you've burned, which I think is baloney, and how many steps you've taken. And you know, the 10,000 steps a day, business that they tell us all to do. I'm at 579, which is gonna be a long day if I, <laughs> I try and do that. But. But a walk gives me 8,000, you know. it's it's And for me, even at this age, it's kind of fun to see what's going on. I can say that they survive the washing machine. They don't survive getting run over by a car. But, you know, that's because I actually use it. And that's, you know, that's part of the body image is I know I'm healthy. I go to the doctor. I do acupuncture. I show up today for things. And I wear was in a bathing suit the other day at the beach. And, you know, that's body image. I don't, nobody cares. Nobody cares. I care. You know, that's the problem is nobody cares like we do, or well, nobody's obsessed with us like we are. Um, just it's just how it is. So it's it's much it's it's great, as a matter of fact. Thank you. Hi. Yes.
1: Can you talk about your process Um,
0: yeah. It I I, my last sponsor got ill and had to drop her sponsorship. and um, I had had her for a couple of years, and she was, she was really great. She, she really used the big book a lot, as does my new sponsor. I mean, she's new, and um, we haven't started working together, per se, although she did ask me to answer the question, what does sane eating mean for you, and that's what I'm writing on right now, which I think is great. She's, um... She has a different life than I do, but I don't care. I'm real, You know, I used to want the perfect sponsor who had everything the same and better than I did, and I just I want somebody who works the program, who I respect, who has what I want. That's what that's what works for me. And that's I asked her, and we talked about it, and um, now we're working together. But tied in with that is I've watched. I know she's done service because I've seen her do service all over the place, and I will have to say, as much as I didn't want to do it, I did service for the OA convention, and a lot of you were there, but for me it was it was unbelievable. I had the most fun I could imagine doing service and you know there's a position for everybody Um, and you know there's something always to be done and I just I just think it really is the solution to this program. Um, Somebody said that five percent of the people in programs do 95 percent of the work and you know and you know what they don't leave and they generally have recovery and they work the program and that's you know I want to be like running along behind that 5% and just right there and that's incredible and I've watched my sponsor do service and that really you know just reminds me again and again well if you haven't shared a convention you know what are you waiting for it's like well (laughs) hang on hang on
1: so uh, thanks any other questions hi hi Diane
0: thanks for
1: your share Um,
0: What are your feelings about your mom today, your mother? My feelings about my mother are that I'm really sad that I didn't know her as anything older than a teenager because I have difficulty having a concept of her. I'm really sad that the treatment they had in those days for depression often ended up in situations of suicide. I know I outlived her, I'm older than she was when she killed herself which was really hard for me Um, and I did not learn how to be in a marriage from my parents because they never once fought in my whole life so I had no idea that you could have conflict and survive. I learned that in here Um, and I mean in those little business meetings. Pros and cons after the meeting terrified me. But I learned that people get through it, and that's the sort of thing that I didn't learn at home that I've learned as I grew up, and it's, it's still kind of mixed. I miss her so much, and I don't have much in the way of memories of her. It's my father, who was my only parent for 30 years, who I feel especially close to, and um, I miss her, and I hope I get to see her again someday. Thank you. Thanks for letting me play.